Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with news stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world, both past and present, and we want to introduce you to them. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We are all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Welcome back to the Adorn Women podcast. We are so excited to introduce you to Lisey Fink today. Lisey is a wife of 27 years, a mother of five children, a new grandma, a woman of faith, a business owner, a carrier of the BRCA1 mutation, a tornado survivor, and a forever fighter of metastatic breast cancer. Lisey was diagnosed with stage 3C breast cancer in 2013. Soon after her diagnosis, she found out that she carries the BRCA1 mutation, a harmful variant in her genes that increases the risk of certain cancers. Her mom passed away later that year from ovarian cancer. After chemotherapy, a double mastectomy, and radiation in 2014, she was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer, for which there is no cure. But eight years later, Lisey is still standing. Since her diagnosis, she has shared her story with thousands of patients, cancer advocates, church groups, and medical professionals. She shares her story to encourage others with her account of God's faithfulness to contribute to metastatic breast cancer research and to offer hope to cancer patients and their families. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lisey today. Welcome back, Adorn Women. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm here with my co-host and sister-in-law, Alicia. Hi, everyone. And we are also here with a good friend. Um, her name is Lisey Fink. Lisey, if you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today and kind of share my story with you guys. Um, Michaela's heard part of my story and Alicia's read a little bit about it, but I'm just excited to kind of share with you guys what God's done in my life and been through some really tough stuff. And I think I have a really good story that you guys will probably find parts of it that you connect with. Yeah, I've gotten to know Lisey the past year because I got engaged back in January and I was looking for a bridal shop in the Lynchburg area to shop at for my wedding dress and I had scheduled an appointment somewhere and they canceled my appointment the day of and my mom and my mother-in-law had flown into town and I was like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? And so my mom called Lisey's Bridal Shop Celebration Bridal, and they were like, we'll get you in today. And so that's kind of how I met Lisey. She helped me find my dream dress. And then after that, I mean, I guess it was kind of just clay treasures that you kind of discovered. And and we met up and, and kind of talked about business stuff and really connected. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't get to help brides a whole lot. So it was a real treat to be able to help you find your dress that day. It was a crazy weather day. And so I ended up actually getting to have a lot of brides that day. And I just felt a real connection with you and your family. And obviously we have a kindred spirit through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, so there was just a connection there. And I loved talking business with you and your fiance at the time. So we we had some good chats over the last year. We did. And then we just discovered Alicia also got her dress at Celebration Bridal. (laughs) Yes. Although it probably was not very memorable, or maybe this is memorable. I don't know, because I know there, it can be a whole ordeal to find your dress, but I literally walked in with my mom. I tried on three dresses, and then I bought the first one that I tried on, and that was it. 
Well, I can tell you that Michaela definitely tried on a lot more than three. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we, we tried on a lot. And it was like, it was like dress after dress was, I, I loved all of them. And then finally I tried on the one and it was like, oh, okay, this one beats the rest of them. <laughs> it was just so special. So many tears. Yes, there were tears. And then we FaceTimed some friends in and I had a, gr- a big group of friends that were there with us. So that was definitely just a sweet, my first memory with Lisey and um, it was so awesome to just connect with her, and she she has shared a lot of her story with me just since we've gotten to know each other and got coffee a few times, so I've just really appreciated Lisey's story, and I really want you guys, our listeners, to hear her story. Lisey, would you just go ahead and, and just share share your experience just being diagnosed with cancer and then battling everything that came with that? So I've told you earlier, it's quite interesting that we're meeting today because today is nine years since my initial diagnosis. Um, I was diagnosed actually on January 28th, 2013 with triple negative breast cancer. I um, have been married this year, 27 years to my husband, Gary. We have five children who are now 10, 11, 20, 22, and 24. I have a son-in-law and a brand new grandbaby. But at the time, I had two little girls in diapers and I believe a middle schooler and two high schoolers. So I was a very busy mom. I owned two businesses at that point. I was working 60 hours a week and busy with church, teaching Sunday school, doing everything that a busy mom's supposed to do. And just suddenly was stopped in my tracks and found out that I had a softball-sized breast tumor at that point. And it was definitely the shock of a lifetime. I was 38 years old, so I was too young for mammograms. At the time, I didn't have any family history of breast cancer. I had done everything right to prevent myself from getting breast cancer. You know, I'd breastfed my children. I had taken birth control. I did all those things that are supposed to help you, you know, stay healthy in in your middle years. And um, so a diagnosis of breast cancer was a complete shock. I was thinking today, actually, I gave my aunt a call on the way here today. And I reminded her of what she had told me the night before my diagnosis. She said, she's a woman of few words, but when she says something, it always resonates with me. And she said to me, she said, Lisa, you're strong, you're faithful, you're determined, and you're loved. And those four words, strong, faithful, determined, loved, they carried me through the next few months. I, obviously, I took chemotherapy because I was um, the tumor was too large to operate on at the time, followed by double mastectomy and radiation. And later that year, found out that I was cancer-free or I'd finished and I was celebrating being a survivor. I was, you know, wearing the pink shirts and doing, you know, sharing my story with other people and kind of helping pull others along through their initial diagnosis. And the next March, I was getting ready to celebrate my 40th birthday on a trip to Dallas, and I had a massive seizure. And as a result of that seizure, we found out that I had a brain tumor. The brain tumor had metastasized from my initial breast cancer. And so at that point, my prognosis was really bad. When you become stage four, the median survival rate with triple negative breast cancer is nine months. And so I knew that I had needed to make as many memories as I could with my children. And that's what we did. We spent the next year, I was on treatment, and I had, at that point, two craniotomies and more brain radiation. I started taking chemotherapy three, three weeks out of four every month. It was, it was quite debilitating. I spent most of that year in a wheelchair because I was just too weak to walk. Just, just crazy. I just walked up the steps to get here and to think that there was a time when my husband had to push me through a grocery store. So I continued on that um, treatment plan. At the end of that year, my um, cancer had grown and had spread then to my lungs. 
the radiologist looked at my scans in November of um, 2014 and said there's just too many lung and chest tumors to count. I had a large tumor that was pressing on my aorta and making it really difficult to breathe. I still had the effects of having the tumor in my brain, so trying to think was almost impossible some days. I went from working, you know, sometimes seven days a week to having my store manager come over and lay in bed beside me and tell me about the brides who had shopped in my store that day, just so I could still feel like I was a part of things. I think going through all that and having five children, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even be a mother during those times. And people stepped up for me. God put people in our lives to do things that were unimaginable. People put money on my kids' lunch accounts at the school. The last thing I was thinking about was writing a check for school lunches. And it occurred to me like three or four months into treatment that I hadn't paid for school lunches. And I called the school and they said, oh, someone's been paying for your kids' school lunches for the last three months. Wow. The teachers at my kids' school were paying my cleaning lady to still come and clean my house. Um, my husband's coworkers had a schedule, so they mowed our grass every week. When you talk about the meal train, I had a meal train that went on for years instead of weeks. And my family always had something to eat. They always had people looking out for them. Um, a friend of mine used to take my daughter, my middle school daughter at the time, after school and she would go to the store and pick up beads, and they would make jewelry after school. So she had something positive to do. My kids always had a ride to their sport, sporting events. And, you know, I decided at that point I would, I'd rather keep fighting and spend time with my kids, even if it meant laying in bed watching a movie, than not be there at all. And so I was willing to take whatever treatment necessary to get better. When the cancer had spread to my lungs and things were looking so dire that November, um, we took several trips that year, and each time I took a trip, I would think, this is our last trip. I need to make really good memories. We took a cruise, and I went to the beach over Christmas that year because my kids had always talk about, talked about swimming with the dolphins, and I wanted to make sure they did that before I was gone. That was in December, and in the following March, my scans started to look a little better. And by June, my June scans showed that there was no evidence of cancer at all. That's a miracle. It was a complete miracle and completely unexpected. The doctors, the nurses, no one, no one in my life anticipated that I was going to be in that position. Definitely not short term, but or not short term, but definitely not long term. I continued on chemotherapy um, until the following April of 2016. At that point, I had a reaction to the chemotherapy I was on, and I had to stop taking chemotherapy. Our thought was that I would probably, you know, be off of therapy or off of treatment for a month or so and get right back on as soon as the cancer started growing. But praise God, here we are six years later, or yeah, six years later, and I'm still off of treatment and um, doing incredibly well. You know, that that's a huge part of my story, obviously, the cancer, but um, we've also been through some other really tough stuff since then. Yeah. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about um, the tornado? Yeah. So, um, we live probably three miles from the Blue Ridge Parkway, so we our house faces a mountain, and we have mountains on the other side of us as well. And I live in a community that hasn't had a tornado since the 1950s, I believe. And on April 15th, which was my husband's birthday in 2018, um, we were sitting in our living room, and we'd had some kind of wacky weather that day, and you know we anticipated some thunderstorms, but definitely never imagined that we would have a tornado. We were sitting in my living room getting ready to watch a movie at the end of celebrating his birthday dinner, and my husband got a text from a coworker that said, there's a tornado headed to Elon, and Elon is the little community of a couple thousand people where I live. 
And at that point, we yelled for our children to get downstairs. We have a basement. And um, as we're running down the steps, I can remember thinking, oh, great, the power's going out. I'm not going to be able to get my comforter out of the dryer in time for, for bed tonight. going to have a wet comforter. And the power goes out, and we get downstairs, and things, things begin to darken really quickly. Um, we went from one side of the basement to the other side, and my husband cleared out some things that were stored underneath our stairwell very quickly, all this happening in a matter of minutes, seconds, I don't know. And um, we all huddled underneath those stairs, and I, I pulled a door in front of us, and um, within just a few seconds, our entire house was gone. Wow. So, you know, I tell people, and I will say this forever, it's, I faced my own mortality I faced the fact that I was probably going to pass away myself. But to consider the possibility of losing my husband and children to this day is the hardest thing I've ever had to face. And um, I, I really didn't know if we would make it out that night. And I didn't, I didn't know if we were going to not be there at the end of that storm or if I was going to lose a child. People, and I hope this doesn't sound too dramatic, but People often ask me, you know, did, what did you hear? Did you hear a train? Or what did it sound like? Or what did you see? And my only memory of that time under the stairs was carrying my then 16-year-old daughter. She just kept screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And and I couldn't tell her that she wasn't going to because I really felt like we were going to. Wow. And um, so that same community <laughs> that had supported my family all those years, turned around and just got right back on board. And within hours, we're cleaning up what was left of everything that we owned. I, I think I shared this with you at some point. I, I remember we had to live in an apartment, which was some way away from our elementary school. And the lady that ran the Y program for after school care, she told, I asked, I went in to sign my children up for before and after school care because I didn't have a place to get them off the bus at that point. So I needed somewhere for them to be before and after school. And I was driving 20 miles to and from school for the time that we were out of our home. And I said to her, I said, you know, we want to sign the kids up for before and after school care. And she said, oh, we, we'd love to give you that. We'd love to sponsor your children and pay for it. I said, absolutely not. I said, I have, I can afford child care. You know, we can do this. It's not very much. I can pay for it. And she looked at me and she said, Lisey, you're blocking my blessing. And I'd never heard that before, but I've said it to so many friends since then. When I, now I've, I've always been the person that carried a meal to someone else or helped someone else pay for childcare or helped someone else who needed someone to clean their home. But I'd, I'd never really been on the receiving end until I got sick and I understood what it meant to let someone else bless you in that way. And so when she said to me that I was blocking her blessing, I was like, "Whoa, I'm turning back into that Lisa who doesn't accept help. And so it was, it was pretty incredible to turn around and say, okay, if you want to pay for it, then I'm, I'm going to accept that as some, as a gift that I'm supposed to receive. Wow. I mean, man, you just have gone through so much in your life, Lisa. Um, and it's just incredible to hear about your story and just what the Lord has done in your life. Would you share just a little bit of how all of this has affected your relationship with God? Because I'm sure that he's definitely used this and that it's definitely changed a lot of your perspective. It has. You know, I think a lot about, like, my relationship with God on regular days now. And I know most Christians would say this. It's very easy to depend on God when you're going through something really hard. I had no one else to depend on. No one else could 
give me, you know, heal me from my cancer. No one else could have saved my family that night. But I think what I've learned through all of this is how to have that same faith on regular days and how to just be normal, like how to, how to just get up in the morning, read the Bible, you know, talk to him throughout the day and, and not be saying, save my life, you know, help me get out of this horrible situation, save my child from this illness, or please, you know, I'm going to lose my mother, you know, let her go in peace. Or, you know, I, I think what God has taught me is like how to, how to relate to him on a normal day. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's been a big lesson and something I'm, I'm constantly having to, to relearn. But I did learn how to just give it all to him. And I had never done that before. I'm an oldest child, and I am someone who wants to fix everything and manage everything and be in control of everything. And I had no choice but to completely give up all reign. Someone, I didn't change a kid's diaper, any a, a diaper for a year, a year without changing my children's diapers. I didn't cook a meal probably for nine months or more. And all those things are things that I expect of myself. And so, to be able to accept the help that God was putting in my life was was it was humbling, completely humbling. And then to turn that situation around and just continue to accept help from him and continue to maintain that you got this God attitude on a regular day is something that I I have to keep reminding myself of. Yeah, learning. So you kind of learned through all of those hard times what surrender looked like. And now you're kind of learning what that looks like when life looks normal. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely, I, I think if you haven't been through something super horrible or really, really tough, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard on a regular day. And when I share my story, and I've shared my story in so many different settings, you know, with women of faith, with cancer survivors, with families of, you know, folks with cancer or, you know, families that have been through tough stuff, I always want to remind them that while my story is, sounds super tragic and, you know, I faced death twice, that losing a child or facing a relationship that falls apart or, you know, not having somewhere to live or not being able to afford college or just all of those things are just as major. And even my regular day managing who's going to pick up my kids from the bus are just as serious to God as my cancer was. And I I think that's something that, you know, people, it's, they're like, well, I haven't been through anything that bad. But what you've been through, whatever it is, even the small stuff about making decisions about career, that's that's just as major to God right now as as me rebuilding my house after a tornado was. Kayla has told me how you've talked to her a little bit about some people telling you God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, but you actually have a little bit of a different perspective on that. Could you share some of that for me? I haven't heard this yet and for our listeners. Sure. You know, I, I think a lot of times you hear well, you know what God says. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. I can't tell you how many people still will post that all over social media whenever anyone's going through something bad or, you know, will remind me of that. And I say to them, I absolutely believe that God allows you to get more on your plate than it can possibly fit. Um, I just started a Bible study last week, and I found a verse that kind of fits that. And it, it just reminded me of that plate too full concept. 
in Second Corinthians it says, Paul says that when he's talking about everything that he's been through and he's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts we felt the, in their hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God. <laughs> That's a perfect verse. I know. When I read that last week, I was like, that is exactly, I wrote beside it, plate two full concept. There is absolute truth that God allows you to get way more than you can handle. I promise you that even on a regular Tuesday, I feel so overwhelmed sometimes and think there is no way that God can throw one more thing my way and or allow one more thing to happen. You know, sometimes I think he does throw it my way. And then other times I think he puts people in my life that throw it my way. But regardless, it's coming and, you know, it's on my plate and I, I can barely carry it. But then he just puts a person in my life that takes some of that burden off or he gives me the right scripture verse or he introduces me to a new friend or, you know, God just says, you know what, you do have too much. Let me just tell you how I'm going to take that burden from you. And I feel like I shouldn't be surprised by this anymore, but I get surprised by God's ability to take that burden on almost every single day. Yeah, I I love that concept of just the Lord allowing you to get too much, like more than you can handle so that you have to rely on him. I think that's an amazing thing to learn as believers that like we're going to go through hard things. Like we're we're promised trials and tribulations on this earth. And when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when we get to rely on the Lord. Well, and I felt like some of my battles, I just had to, you know, rely. I just kept thinking about that verse in Exodus, that God's going to fight for me because I couldn't fight them. Sure. I had nothing left to fight with. And when I was on treatment, there was, I had nothing to give. And um, I had to let God fight the battle for me. Man, I know, like, I really just cannot possibly fathom how difficult um, those times in your life must have been. But I'm sure that, you know, God, obviously you've told us how God has helped you through that. And you've also talked about these key relationships um, that you depended on at that time and just how vital community was to you. I would really just love for you to maybe expand on that. And and obviously you've told us in ways that you were supported. I would just love to hear just a little bit more about community. Yeah. And I think I think I get at least a message a week from someone that says, I know someone that's on chemotherapy. What can I do for them? Or I know someone that just lost their house in a hurricane. How can we help them? And um, I feel like that that's a big part of my story is being able to share with how you can support people going through hard things. And um, I didn't have a lot of family nearby when I got sick, but my family came. Um, My sister used to come and stay for a week or two at a time. My mom would come for every treatment. And stay, I can remember my mom sitting on the side of my bed and feeding me Swiss rolls because she knew I liked them as a kid and I hadn't eaten anything in days. And so she would take the Swiss roll apart and feed it to me while I was sitting on, while I was resting in bed and make me drink um, those inshore drinks to try to get my energy back. People also really supported my husband so that he could be my husband during that time. There were things that I didn't want to share with anyone but him. And so they they took care of my children and freed my husband up so that he could be there for me and just be my primary caretaker. 
when I started to fall a lot, I couldn't be at home during the day by myself. And my husband is a police officer, so he is his demands at his job are great. And so I was home during the day, and I had friends that would sign up and just come and sit at my house. Not wake me up, not bother me, because they knew I was sleeping, you know, probably 20 hours a day. But they would just sit in my living room and do their work or make their phone calls, do the things that they needed to do, and just be there. Um, my dad was one of those people. Um, but I also had friends my age who would just sign up and just come sit so I wasn't alone if I fell. People just thought, this might be a need. Let's just meet it. And I think, I think that's something that even Christians, a lot of time, everyone feels this way. Like you don't want to overstep your bounds with someone. You don't, maybe it's too personal of a battle. You don't want to insert yourself into it. And of course, there's a fine balance with that. But I have a friend right now who's very ill and she has stage four lung cancer. And um, she's someone who supported my children when I was going through treatment. She was one of their teachers. And she's a, they're very private folks. And a lot of times she's not up for a visitor. But I know she, her on her ring doorbell, I know she can see that I stopped by. And so I just dropped food off for her husband because she's not able to eat right now. And I, I know that she's not able to see me as a visitor every day, but I know her husband needs to eat. And so just finding ways to meet needs that, you know, you just, if you're wondering who's meeting that need, then assume it might be your responsibility to do that for them. They can just tell you not to do it anymore. But I believe deep down that they're most people are very, very grateful to be touched in some way when they're going through tough stuff. Yeah. And I love that you see that need and meet it and without even needing to ask or, or wonder, like it's just an immediate reaction. Someone needs something. I, that's my job to fulfill that for them and help them. Um, Cause that's what, you know, we're commanded to do as believers to, to be the hands and feet and to, and inconvenience ourselves for the sake of others like that that's the gospel jesus he he inconvenienced himself to the max literally to death on a cross for the sake of the world so i think that it really just simple acts like that are just beautiful displays of the gospel well and it doesn't have to be make a meal i mean my my i feel like my ministry is cooking for people i i love to provide a meal and folks or, you know, carry food to them. But for other people, it could just be, you know, mowing your grass or, you know, it was, it was so wonderful for my husband to wake up on a really tired Saturday morning and hear lawnmowers in our front yard. And we looked out and it was his co-workers mowing our grass. No one asked us if our grass needed to be mowed. They just set up a schedule and said, don't worry, we've got your grass for the next six weeks. Oh my gosh, you've got my, you mow, you're mowing our grass, you know? And so just, People just assumed my kids needed school supplies because their kids needed school supplies, and they knew I was too sick to go shopping. So instead of just buying the school supplies, my kids were teenagers. They, they said, can we pick up your kids on Saturday and take them to get their school supplies, which meant my kids got to be a part of something that, they were, that was normal for them. So pe- people really tried to anticipate those needs, and, um, and it is. God created us to be community. I mean, he created and he showed us how to do life with other people in the New Testament. And, and for me, I look at the fact that he made sure all those people ate. And so I just I learned a long time ago, and a pastor said, um, he referred to Acts 2, that they broke bread together every week. And um, he challenged us at that service to find a, 
someone to break bread with on a weekly basis. And of course, during my years of sickness, I wasn't breaking bread with anyone. But um, I try really hard still to challenge myself to break bread with someone else every week. If that means take a meal to them, if that means meet someone for coffee, meet someone for lunch. I, it's a personal challenge of mine to, to live out Acts 2 and break bread with somebody every single week. That's, that's a great habit. That's, I read a book called The Common Rule, and it was talking about these habits that we as believers should have in our lives. And that was one of them. It was that having that challenge of like, go, go get a meal with someone just once every single week, and you will just, you'll watch your community grow if you do that. There's something about eating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it could be because I love food so much. I don't know. God, God gave us an appetite and we get to share that with others. Yeah. It reminds me of that verse in Ecclesiastes, just on such a small level, just says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And that is just such a, you know, the Bible talks about this body of Christ and how we do that on a large scale, but it's also just as simple as if one falls, there's another to pick him up. And I think Lisa, you've been on both sides of that. You've had someone there to pick you up and you've been there to pick others up. And that's, that's the simplicity of community as, as it's commanded and guided in the Bible. Well, and I think it's so important. This is a lesson I try really hard to teach my children too. Um, My kids understand picking other people up. And um, I'm so incredibly, incredibly proud when I see them going to walk my friend's dog who can't walk her dog right now or, you know, making sure that, you know, I know about a friend of theirs who has a need and asking what they can do to help them. It's, it's just a, it's, it's empowering for me to see God using, or them using themselves to serve others too. Yeah, and, and it really I, I know, at least for me, it's hard to get my mind off of myself sometimes. Um, just even our culture today is very me-centered culture, and it it feels, it's just my flesh that, that wants me to do what's what's convenient for myself, but I you are just such a, a great example of what it looks like to... Um, put yourself away and and pursue someone else I think that 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 is something that's not easy to do a lot of times just because of our our natural inclinations to serve ourselves rather than others I think a good litmus test for that is to if if you need to tell someone like it's really nice just to do something for somebody and not any, no one really knows who did it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would get things in the mail or a gift card and it would be from someone that I didn't know, or maybe it wasn't even signed. And I always thought that this person is doing this absolutely selfless, selflessly. Like they don't need me to know who sent the gift card or I have a friend that drops flowers off at people's houses all the time. And, um, I went to a house and she had dropped off some flowers there and I knew it was her. But she she never mentioned she went by that friend's house and dropped flowers off because she didn't need to tell anybody. She just did it because that's what God told her to do. And that's how she uses her, you know, talent of growing pretty flowers in her yard. Yeah, that's that's something that I I would love to challenge myself with is just anticipate someone else's needs and meet it without bringing any attention to myself or doing doing something like that. 
Yeah, and I think I think prayer is one way that you can do that. It doesn't have to be something tangible. I think I shared with you before the the volume and the reach of the prayers for my family. I mean, to this day, blows us away. I can remember getting a postcard um, from this vacation Bible school of sorts in India. And my husband still talks about it today. Of course, that postcard went away with the tornado, but it was a picture of all these children. They had snapped a couple pictures and printed them on a postcard. And they said, these are the children at our Bible school praying for you. To this day, I have no idea how that missionary in India knew, heard my story, knew my story, knew that my family needed prayer. But to see people praying for you and know that people are praying for you and, and personally not getting anything in return. I mean, prayer is, prayer is probably the best way that you can give someone a gift and not, not need something back for yourself. Yeah, one quote that one of my mentors in high school would say um, is sometimes the least you can do is the most you can do. And regarding prayer is how it, it feels like it, it literally is the least that I could possibly do is pray for someone. But sometimes that really is the most that you can do. And it does make a difference. Um, obviously, it made a difference for you to know that people were praying for you. Is that just something that gave you encouragement and just, I mean... So, I mean, I always, people were constantly saying, I'm praying for you right now, or you know, they would set up time schedules that so they would pray for me before surgeries. Um, there was a group of women who showed up before my brain surgery and, and prayed at the hospital. Um, at one point, they had planned a prayer meeting before one of my surgeries at my house, and I hosted a few of those. And was and at, the, at that time, my immune system was so bad that I couldn't have visitors. And so they sat in their cars out in, in front of my house and prayed for me. And I, if you look back through the things I wrote during those years, I always said there's no greater gift that you can give me than to kneel before God's throne on my behalf. Like, there's nothing greater you can do for me than to pray for me. And there's nothing greater you could do for my children than to pray for them or my husband. I mean, I take that challenge very seriously when I'm asked to pray for someone because I understand, like, what that meant for me when I needed it most. That's such a profound truth. It's really when you are genuinely praying for someone that is truly, and it's biblical, it's it's what we're asked to do above all else is pray. Pray for for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and pray for those outside of the faith as well. Um, so I really appreciate that truth. And um, the last area I wanted to make sure we got to is just what you would say to someone who is either in the middle of a battle of her own or someone who is supporting a friend who's in the middle of a battle? What would you say to either of those people? I think it's hard because I've seen some, a lot of people not win the battle physically. And so to say that you absolutely are going to get through this is, is not exactly always the right thing to say because there are plenty of people who, their, their win is not necessarily a physical win. And so um, I think just the, just the reminder that God's with them. That's it. God is with them. God is with you, and God's put people like me in your life to be beside you. And I, I think that's so important to just say, I'm walking through this with you, and we're just going to keep on walking. And it might not be the path that we thought you were going to walk on, but I'm going to keep walking beside you. And I'll quote something that's not the Bible, but Olivia Newton-John had, 
at one point had written this little book on breast cancer. And she said, she said, I just keep walking. And so um, I said that to myself so many times, just keep walking. And, you know, it's the concept like Nemo, just keep swimming, you know, but you, you need someone to swim or walk beside you. And so um, I think, I think that's what I would say to them. Just, you know, it may not, this may not end the way that you want it to, or that you wish it would, or that you're praying it will. But regardless of the outcome, God is walking beside you and I am walking beside you. And it's not easy to walk all the time with people going through really hard stuff. It's very, very hard. And, you know, people often talk about survivor guilt or whatever, but to have someone walking through something really hard that they may not have the same outcome that I've had for the last nine years is, has been especially hard for me, but I'm still going to, you know what, I'm going to walk through it and it's going to be hard because I know how sick you're probably going to get, or I know how hard this is going to be for you, but I'm going to walk beside you regardless because that's what God has asked me to do. So I think that's the key is just, you know, God's with you and I'm with you and we're doing this together. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Lisey. Um, I just knew, yeah, just getting to know you this past year, that you would be just one of the perfect uh, candidates to come and just share your story. I know that it's definitely helped me and my perspective on just how to serve someone who's going through something that I can't even imagine. So I just thank you for being willing to share Um, I know that's going to for sure impact people and that God is going to continue to use you. Um, Is there anything that our community can be praying for you? I think our family is doing quite well right now, but I do have a friend who's very ill and I would just ask for your friend or to pray for my friend Paula. All right. Yeah, we'll definitely pray for her. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.